Today, we are bringing together the founders of leading companies at the forefront of brand partnerships in the upcycle and sustainability ecosystem. This is very exciting. Brands have basically been left out of this dialogue. So we cannot wait to hear how these guys are bringing brands in and basically shifting the focus and the importance of this facet of the fashion industry. What does that mean? Well, we're not going to take it from me. We have Treat.co's CEO and co-founder, Jake Disraeli, which allows brands to insert themselves into the upcycle. Very exciting. Let's begin with you. Yeah. So I'm Jake. What we do at Treat is help apparel brands be more sustainable and circular by launching their own re-commerce or resale solutions to help their customers buy and sell use items from each other. So the, the idea is with the power of the brands backing resale and having control and being able to foster their own resale ecosystem, they can keep more items out of the landfill and increase the circulation of their own clothes. And, and because they're able to participate in the financial upside, they have every incentive to actually push this and make it work. So our goal is to help make resale profitable for brands and make it really seamless and easy for their customers around the world. And right now we're doing this through a, like a peer-to-peer -peer resale model that we enable on the brand side. We're going to hear directly from Hasna Korda, CEO and co-founder of Savior Wardrobe. Hasna and I connected through the New York Fashion Tech Lab, and here's a plug for them. New York Fashion Tech Lab connects women-led technology companies to leading brands. Back to Savior Wardrobe's mission and how they help reconnect with their existing wardrobe. Tell us about Savior Wardrobe. Yeah, sure. So Savior Wardrobe really began when I grew up in a very sustainable and uh, circular-led family. So all these values about managing resources, vital resources, were at the core of uh, the way I, I was brought up. And moving to Europe and Paris uh, 20 years ago, I've realized that the way I grew up wasn't really the the, the, the mainstream way of consumption. And what I also realized it was that the fashion industry was really reluctant to use technologies to optimize their sales, optimize the, the way they work in retail. It was really led through storytelling, influences, rather than the, the mission of doing things for good. So I've decided to look at it in in my perspective of an economist that have a background in corporate strategy so nothing really uh, fashionista or uh, fashion-led but i thought that with the use of technology and also use the of, uh, circular business models and principle we could uh, find a joint mission with what we are doing from a consumer facing point of view and also how can we bring brands and retailers to embrace this circular uh, opportunity. So well, what would be, if I pushed you, a non-obvious reason why a brand should participate in Treat.com? Yeah, I, I think you hit you hit the obvious ones. It's like there's their resale market is booming elsewhere and they don't have any control or data behind it and they don't get any financial benefit from it. The other, I guess, obvious reason is to be more sustainable. A lot of brands are looking for ways to be more circular, be more sustainable, and resale is one of those components that they can do to do that. The non-obvious ones might come into play when we think about customer loyalty and customer lifetime value. 
keeping the, the customers coming back, giving them a reason to continue on with the brand. So some of our brands are looking at Treat as a way to continue the customer journey past post-purchase. So it's a really smart e-commerce strategy to use resale as a way to say, hey, hope you're loving your product two years later. If at any point in time you're not, here's this path to resell it and make sure that it lives a second life. And by the way, when, you're, when you sell it, you can get credit back to the brand or value in cash. And so it's a way that they can engage these customers that and get them coming back to the brand. The other piece that is also related to just their resale market existing elsewhere is resale is a path to a younger, more price conscious, more eco-conscious customer, largely driven by Gen Z and, and millennials. Resale has really taken the boom. And so these companies are using resale as a way to reach these younger generations and to tap into that to that uh, to those customers to for them to become lifelong customers of the brand. So it's basically like an appetizer into their brand story, getting them in with resale. Maybe they stay in resale, maybe they buy new, but they're able to reach these customers and have an offering that appeals to them. Let's go to Hasna. Let's share with us <laughs> what are non-obvious reasons why a brand should participate. On our side, actually, the non-obvious reason that someone would participate with the wardrobe management beyond the data. And also it's really as well building a relationship, a closer relationship with their customers, because it goes beyond what they are offering. Uh, with a digital wardrobe, they can see as well what where their the customers buy, from which other brands. It can be competitors, but it could also be some other portfolio of the group. And having this 360 view on of someone's purchasing and uh, consumption habits is another really important addition to their uh, to their marketing effort. The first ever data accessibility is making the difference. But also what I feel like brands uh, needs to also embrace is people are not just trying to buy things for the sake of buying new items. They are also really close to the values that brands are sharing and they want to be part of it. And so building this circular, uh, circular aftercare services is a way as well for them to get closer to their customers, attract younger generation who are much more motivated by circularity or other values around sustainable fashion. Uh, do you think it challenges them on the quality side to produce goods that are longer lasting at the expense maybe even of production price? Do you see a, a shift change in, in the industry on the production side and on quality? I, I think it'll be no surprise to hear that my answer is yes, with just a little bit of nuance to it. What I think is really exciting are all of the upstarts that are coming out right now that are starting with sustainability and quality first. And so this, there's like this younger generation of e-commerce and apparel brands that are starting with sustainability and starting with thinking about circularity from the very first inception of their like product on a napkin. And so those companies are really inspiring. And I think a lot of the larger companies are, are now looking at those companies for ideas and examples of what to do. And that's partly the reason why we're right now, we work with uh, really like small to medium sized Shopify brands that are really changing the game and adopting these new models and taking risks to figure out how to work with this. What are the finances like and, and make it work. And everybody else is kind of looking at that and, and is starting to follow suit. So some of them have a, a real clear 
path to sustainability for the coming years. Some of the others, when the direction or the, the leadership is not as strong, they can the message can be diluted and uh, but the the pioneers in uh, are following are actually creating the path and the other smaller ones that have no clue about sustainability or how it works they are following step by step slower slowly the discussions that we have with brands and retailers that is extended to a wide and global strategy for them at each point, the, the production, but also the sourcing of brands, the sourcing of the collection of a particular brand that would be accepted or not on the, on the website of the retailer or as a reference in the catalog. And also the, the other discussions, which was really reassuring and exciting is that every point of any proof of concept we are developing is challenged against a sustainability or an ethical code of conduct that is gener general across the, the whole company. Our, our goal is to make resale so financially viable for brands, for them to understand what their resale market can provide them, that it helps with overproduction. But the only way that that works is if they are creating products that are high quality from the beginning, that are meant to last and meant to be repaired. And so there's real financial incentive for a long-term gain if you create quality products from the beginning and you have access and the capability to tap into your resale market afterwards. It's just the beginning and it's just starting and that's that's this whole wave that's happening right now, but that's, that's the vision and the goal. With respect to more traditional brands, Jake first, what department does this live in? Merchandising, head of retail, <laughs> person with the P&L? production, the person who makes the goods, you know, when you're, when you're buying and selling, when you're creating a sales revenue contribution, it would fall under the head of retail, right? It makes it a little hard, makes it a bit of a headwind when you're presenting something. It's like right. a hot potato. Who owns this? Who gets the final say is which department has to buy in, which what's happening out there where who's saying yes. And where does it live? Who's your point of contact? Who calls you and says, this is awesome. <laughs> I think because it's so new, it kind of varies depending on which company we're, we're talking to or working with. Nowadays, if you're a larger company, you might have a director of sustainability that's helping develop these programs and work cross-functionally with merchandising and marketing and retail to help these projects come to fruition. The smaller companies, we might be in any of those departments. So if they have a head of digital that is looking at different apps and solutions to incorporate on their website or head of e-commerce, that's a great point of contact. Merchandising and marketing are always involved though, especially with a with a program, with an online program like Treat or Resale. Marketing is a huge component of launching it and incorporating it throughout the customer journey. And so sometimes they're our direct point of contact, sometimes it's merchandising, but it's always a combination of the few that are involved in actually the launch process. So it's usually pretty cross-collaborative across the company. More and more cross-collaboration is so important in retail today. So I'd love to hear what Hasna has to say. Yeah, for us, it was almost always the strategy team that gets in touch and saying, this is our strategy for the next 12 to 18 months. We want to deep dive into it. And then straight away, they connect us with the head of sustainability, if there is one. If not, if it's a smaller brand, usually it's the digital team that takes over. And it's, yeah, especially for smaller brands and almost 
it's a new market it's a new trend it's a new behaviors that got accelerated through the the the, the covid pandemic jake tell us about data so our goal with data is to help apparel brands understand their resale market that's as like that's as simple as i can put it and so we're collecting everything we can to help inform the brands on what's happening in their resale market which items are being resold more than other ones at what sizes what trends are coming out at what prices in what conditions how long are items lasting and who are the who are their customers that are that are selling re their items resale and trying to understand that and so the goal here is to help future product development to understand how many units to create of their next of their next production run and a whole host of other things that you know we we launched with our first brand probably only 7 months ago so we're at the very beginning of collecting all this really rich data to help send back and inform the brands and so that's that's the goal and the vision with with how we're using data and we're just starting to to report back to the brands that now that we have you know about 7 months of historicals to to show after there's there's already some really interesting insights on what's happening in their own respective resale markets sure yeah so the the first experience that anyone would have while downloading save your wardrobe is to inventure their their the catalog of their wardrobe so they have access uh, to a technology like computer vision or what we call email parsing that connects directly to the online purchases and instantly we have a, a thorough view of what you what the, the user owns with brand level detail category detail size level details really showing a portfolio of product and brand level distribution so this is something that isn't available every, anywhere else and brands and retailers can only have the the view on what they are selling our uh, approach to it is saying the data doesn't belong to us they don't belong to the retailer they belong to the consumer and uh, the user of the app so they have full power and full access to their own data and they can uh, manage it in the way they would like to so they can go with their wardrobe to any uh, retailer's website and get a new way of discovering fashion based on what they own and if they choose to opt and share their data with the retailer or the brand they unlock a new experience where personalization team gets involved or sustainability team and aftercare also gets involved with incentives as well to extend the life of garments so this is where we stand on data we think that empowering the consumer with their own data is the way forward to really build this full circular business model brands are really uh, protective of their data they are now understanding that it's the the way forward is to is a trade off basically they give some and they receive some so they are ready to just give up a little bit of what they own in order to capture another side of data that they do not have access to and that is completely uh, invaluable for for them and i think you call that process of a client saying here's my closet send it to a brand and say help me i think you refer to it as responsible shopping exactly responsible shopping or what we call as well fashion citizenship where we incentivize people to uh, understand better their consumption habits and and care for their clothing through uh, repairs alteration and extending the life of garment through also donation or reselling
fortunately, what we're doing today is actually creating sort of like micro marketplaces for every brand. So it's almost like their own dedicated resale shop that the brands are driving traffic to. So a lot of times it's it's the brands that are that are promoting these experiences. They're integrating them throughout their customer journey. If you click into their shop section, you might also see a consignment shop or a pre-loved link. And so they're launching their marketplaces just as they're launching any other product line. It's not a huge lift to actually get started and to get going. And then a lot of times these build momentum rather organically. So as it gets visibility within the brand, as the customers start to know about it, we get really hands-on with helping the brands actually promote it in the best ways. Now that we've worked with different brands to create these experiences, we have a, kind of a lot of inspiration to pull from about what's working, what's most effective, and we have a lot of templates to help them get going. But it's largely the brands that are driving the initial wave of traffic. And then the goal with the marketplaces is to help it be a little bit more self-perpetuating. So as, as the marketplaces get going, we seed the marketplace with, with product. So we actually launched the sell versions before we launched the shop so that when the shoppers come, there's actually inventory there. And then it becomes top of mind for customers as they're shopping those brands that they know that there's the option to resell afterwards. And so as you're in the shopping experience, maybe your first time going to the site and you're scrolling through, you actually see that there's a way to resell your item if and when you don't love it anymore, or perhaps if it's outside the return window or any other host of reasons why you might want to, you know, engage with the resale option with that brand. And so that's the mechanics of how it works. Got it. Got it. Totally clear on that. Hasna, how are you cultivating the client, the consumer side, the shopper side? How is that working for, from, you know, again, it's a, it's a two-part project and you've got, we've covered the first side, you know, it's no easy task here. Now, what about the other side? Yeah, it's actually really uh, challenging to scale a B2C platform, something that requires a lot of marketing spans, social ads, but our approach is completely different. We decided to not invest in marketing or not invest in social ads as much as any other B2C app, Or, but we were also very, very lucky to have press coverage and press or fashion editorial coverage of our product of our product and we also have a really nice organic word of mouth for that because i think that the, the reason why is that we are very close to our mission and our vision and our values and we are really selling those instead of selling just the platform itself and how it works but to, to come back to jake's point the partnerships with brands and retailers is really crucial to that because while we help them go into the opportunity of a circular business model they are also helping us with our growth and uh, and they're sharing their customer base with us so it's uh if you would like, uh, the, the discussion is if you'd like to have this access to data or to this type of consumers, you have to allow us to grow with you and have access to your consumer base. So this is the, the route we've chosen to grow our user base and not to rely too much on conventional marketing pushes or advertisement. And that works really well so far. Our branding is really, it's present on the experience. And, and yeah, so this is where uh, we are going. Okay, great. Sounds good. I want to thank you both for answering all of my questions and I have a million more and we only have so much time, but why don't we try something new? 
I would love for each of you to ask each other a question. Thanks for the opportunity because I have so many. <laughs> uh, so I I really love the what you've built and how you are enabling brands to build their own e-commerce uh, platform or marketplace, and that also there is that could be seen as a siloed experience between each brands or and separate from each other. And I was wondering if you you are intending to create this whole maybe platform where all the marketplaces can join or can, can be available in one place or at least maybe leverage the, the audiences from each other and, uh, and create this global or larger scale? Yeah, great question. Absolutely. So actually the way that we've built Treat today allows you to, let's say you have a Treat account for one brand, maybe Boyish or Coquelico or Wolven, some of the brands we work with. Today, actually, you can already use your same account information to log into any of our other, our other brands. You can use your same shipping information, your order history, et cetera. So it's one step away from us to be able to have a searching experience across our brands. Um, so our goal is to make it really easy for, for customers to sell their items, to find resale items, and, and for brands to access this resale community. And so having a single destination where they can access all of our brands kind of brings us closer to that goal and that end mission. Uh, our goal, we're, we're hyper, hyper focused on making the siloed experiences very successful. And that's what's working right now. And we don't get until we don't get to the end goal unless we actually make these experiences powerful, su sustainable, both from a circularity standpoint, but also like revenue-wise sustainable and actually makes sense and uh, and then move into the longer-term vision there. And Jake, what would you ask Pasna? Yeah, you know, I think there, there are a lot of challenges with building a business in the sustainability space and the sustainable resale space. I'm just curious, what, what have been the big challenges that you've come across by being a brand, trying to help other brands be more sustainable um, and help customers do that? What are the big things that come up for you? Oh, so many. When we started back in 2017, talking about sustainability was, you know, talking about aliens and, and talking, saying this, the aliens exist and this is the future. It was, it was really hard to go to, to, to have a conversation around that and uh, to explain that it's a sustainable business model as well as a sustainable brand. And now the conversation is picking up. And like I mentioned earlier, the sustainable teams are leading also the, the strategy part of some brands and retailers. It's easier, but it's still facing some challenges, especially in proving that business models, circular business model can lead more revenues than a simple linear one. So the while back in the day we were just selling the proposition and selling the vision and now it's proving that and proving that model and uh, and having the brands believing in in us to to ship the the vision and the proposition yeah it's funny i hear you talk and i think you're one step ahead of us in that the brands that we're working with right now at least the majority of them are adopting the resale model more so because it does align with their vision and being a sustainable brand and now we're starting to get a little bit more interest and hopefully spreading out to more brands that are looking at it. Yes, from a sustainability standpoint, but also from a smart like revenue perspective to actually adopt these models and, and starting to look at these models, not as just like a sustainability yeah. initiative or to do more circulating, but actually very strategic to be more sustainable brand because that helps you be a 
you know, a stronger brand, meet your customers where they are, develop customer loyalty, but also to, because it makes sense financially um, exactly. to adopt these brands in the long term. But we've learned that the hard way, because like I mentioned in the beginning, we had almost to hide our sustainability mission as if we were plotting something. And so we focused on the financials. We focused on the fact that it this amount of revenues and there is growth to it. So that's where, where it People thought that sustainability was a weakness. It helped us mm -hmm. build the use case and the business case, a financial business case for, for us and also for brands and retailers. That's incredible. What else, Jake? What else? What uh, else? I was, um, I was just curious what the financial model is. Kind of who are you charging? How does uh, Save the Wardrobe make money? Sure. So it's completely free for anyone to download the app, to enjoy all the experience of the app. They can request services for free. When they do that, we get a cut on that transaction made on the app. So it's free for the user, but any service provider or aftercare service partner is getting a, a transaction through us. We get a commission. And then when it comes to brands and retailers partnership, it's, it's really simple as well. We have a, a setup fee and then a license of uh, the technology we, we use and then the customer care and, uh, and so on. How about you, Jake? What's your model? Also really simple. We take a transaction fee from the sales and there's a small SaaS fee on top of that. Right now we're actually doing all of the setups for free working with brands. We're trying to identify brands that really want to get started and, and promote this and lead the charge. And so at least this year we're doing all of our setups for free. And then there's just a, a small monthly fee, but really it's, it's the, the transaction fee. So it's, you know, growing with the brand, make, having mutually aligned incentives to make sure that these marketplaces are successful. So we invest a lot of time and energy and resources overall, just in helping them get set up, get activated and continuing to do so, so that we can build their marketplaces with them. These two solutions live in conjunction with each other. Uh, a brand can sell via treat.co and then a brand can also work with a client's closet to uh, dovetail in and have responsible shopping. Hey, these pants go with that shirt you have from any brand, by the way, with mm -hmm. safe wardrobe brand, I believe can opt in to say, Hey, these pants go with that other top from a different brand, not ours. So it extends the reach of the solution. Uh, so just to be crystal clear that these are very yeah. symbiotic solutions and in my opinion, a must do for a brand. Thank you, Christine. I appreciate that. And I, I also agree. I think that they could live in harmony and, and will be living in harmony with each other. I think Save the Wardrobe is kind of like a great first step, especially like the smarter way to keep items out of landfills initially in terms of you know, the best way to reduce your carbon footprint is to wear an item longer. And so by repairing it and continuing to wear it and, you know, wear it nine, 12 months longer, that's fantastic. And that will, you know, help reduce your own carbon footprint. And then when you're ready to participate in resale or upcycle it or whatever, using Treat as a solution to aid okay. you in the process to find your next item, yeah. a pretty powerful path. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to partner with the best in class in resale, in cleaning, in repairing and using our 
technology platform that we call service infrastructure platform to make it as easy, as streamlined as possible to adopt these new ways of behaviors. So when you want to sell an item from your wardrobe, you just click sell and then it goes to treat with all the data associated to it. And so that the, the, the person doesn't have to, to, to log in again, the, the item and take another picture. They do it straight away and they can have that automated communication and updates about uh, where their item is and is it fixed? Is it, is it ready for collection? Is it ready for sale? And getting the, uh, the insights that goes with it at which time the, the, the item is, is at its best to be, to be ready to, to be sold or put on rental and so on. So these kind of insights and change in consumer habits is where we want to focus to make sure that we enable the whole aftercare or post-purchase journey of items. Well, we will be on standby to see this, you know, potential amazing collaboration happen. Yeah. <laughs> In closing, is there anything else, you know, we've, we've, I've certainly asked you a ton of questions and we've learned so much. So this is, we're, we're truly at this wave of brands participating in these new sort of shopping models. And I would just encourage any brand that's thinking about it to explore it and to see what it's like and have conversations with brands that are participating with solution providers and, and see what it could do for them. Because oftentimes it can do a lot more than they actually think. I mean, you asked a great question earlier on, which was what is some like uncommon or unobvious benefit of resale? And there's so much that you can unlock and the benefits are vastly different brand by brand. And so there's, there used to be this stigma around resale as it just being something that brands wanted to stay away from. And then there's like this myth of cannibalization, but when you actually talk to brands that are participating in e-commerce and solution providers that are helping those brands, it becomes really clear all that it can do for your brand. And so if you're open to it, I would just say, let's, let's, let's open up the conversation and, and keep talking about it and stay open. Hasna, what, what would you like to add that we haven't uh, covered? No, I'm really excited about how the fashion industry is moving towards adopting not just the, the tech side of it and the data side of it. And I think it it's really high time for them to optimize their processes and, and let go a little bit of the influence that they would like to have on the market <laughs> and, uh, and, and see what are the opportunities for them to change and for good and, uh, and not just on the surface level, deeply changing their business model and creating new things and, uh, and be pioneering the, the movement of sustainability, like many other industries did in the past. So I'm super excited to see how it goes and also excited to see that it's not just the, the sustainability pioneers that are adopting those business model, but the, the, the rest of brands are exploring and really motivated in, in changing and hopefully adopting better, better habits.